The following message is by Pastor Jason Polly. More information from Harmony Bible Church is available at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. Well, good morning. Welcome once again to the gathering of Harmony Bible Church. It's a great day to be in His house this morning to worship Him. Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You so much for this opportunity we have now to uh, just look to Your Word. God, I thank You for the song that we were just able to sing as we reflect on our union in You. God, I just pray that You'd knit our hearts together in love, that You'd guide us as we look to Your Word, help us to understand not only what it says, but how we might apply it to our lives. God, I pray that You would be glorified as we seek to uh, come before You together in this way. God, I pray that we would worship You in spirit and in truth. I pray for the churches that are meeting up and down the coast and around the world this morning. God, I pray that they too would worship You in spirit and in truth, that Your Word would be proclaimed and that lives would change. God, I pray for revival in this state, in this country, in this world. And God, I pray that that revival would begin here and now in us. God, revive our hearts, draw us back to You, and help us to be uh, not only hearers of Your Word, but also doers of Your Word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we've been working our way through the book of uh, 1 Corinthians for this is our third week now. And um, we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 17. But as we've well, I kind of started looking at 1 Corinthians. I just want to remind you that the Apostle Paul started the church in Corinth, that he came to Corinth, and he um, stayed there for about a year and a half, and many people were converted to Christianity. They came into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ through the preaching of Paul and through Paul being used mightily by God. Many were Jews, many were Gentiles, and the church was born there. And after some time there, uh, Paul moved on, and then he writes this letter to the, uh, to the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth was a church with a lot of problems, a lot of struggles. And they were gifted, they had all the same tools as every other church, but they struggled along. And God uh, reminds them through Paul that not only have they been called, but they will be confirmed. That God is going to carry them through to the end. So last week as we looked at the message, I hope you remember that we saw God's past grace in the lives of the believers in Corinth. We saw God's present grace, that He was currently being gracious to them. And we saw God's future grace, that He was going to carry them through and confirm them to the end. So with that background in mind, without further ado, let's look at 1 Corinthians 1, verses 10-17. through If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 10-17. through Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I, I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas. And I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? 
I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you would say you were baptized in my name. Now I did also baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. I kind of got a chuckle earlier when uh, uh, Bill, he always, he asked for the Lord's blessing upon this hour. And I always get a chuckle when he says that because I think, well, my sermon's an hour, so how are we only going to be meeting an hour? But today I have a short message, so I know I've said that before. Today I have a short message, and I'm up here quite early, so I think we are going to be done maybe early today. <clears throat> Alright, so the first point in your sermon outline. We're going to jump right into the first point in your sermon outline. The first point is the goal. Right? We want to look at the goal. Look at verse 10 with me. Paul lays it out pretty clear. He says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. So Paul tells the believers that they should all agree and that there should be no divisions among them. And as I was reading this this week, I couldn't help but thinking, on some level, this sounds like pie-in-the-sky optimism. Like, really, Paul? That you should all agree on everything, there's no divisions at all whatsoever among you. You know, I've been part of many groups, clubs, organizations, and the like. And any time there's a group of people, even people with similar interests and similar backgrounds, what do you find? You find disagreement. You just do. It seems like any time you get two people together, let alone a group of people, there's room for disagreement. And the church, however, is more than a club. And the church's unity is based more than upon common interests. So to compare it to a club is unfair. Because our unity is based on so much more than common interests. Just a couple of weeks ago, we read in verse 2 of this same chapter of 1 Corinthians. As Paul was opening this letter, he said this. He said, To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. He's talking to the church of God. He reminds them, it's God's church. You are the church that belongs to God. You've been set apart in Christ Jesus. You've been saints by calling. God's the one who called you. And He called you along with every believer in every place. He called you together with all those who call Jesus Lord. See, He's reminding them early on in this letter of the unity they have in Christ. That they've been united, that they were joined to a family. And I've said this before, that when we become a believer, we may not be asking for a family, but we are given a family. That as soon as we become a follower of Jesus Christ, we are united with other believers, regardless of time, regardless of location. That we are connected to the church in that way. Here though, as Paul begins to move through this letter, 
and the verses we're going to look at today, or we are looking at today, Paul is pointing to something even more specific. Paul is pointing to the unity, not just in the universal church, not in the church that exists regardless of time and space, but instead the unity that is to exist in the local church. See, Paul is not just telling the believers in Corinth, well, because you're a believer, you need to agree and be exactly the same, have the same mind, have no disagreements whatsoever with every believer that ever existed, regardless of time. He's not saying you need to be exactly like the church in Ephesus, that you need to agree with everything that they do and say. There is an element that they are united to the church in Ephesus. There is an element that they are united to us even today. That we are connected to these believers to whom this letter was written. But Paul's being even more specific. He's talking about unity that is to exist in the local church, within the body of believers in Corinth. Or the way we apply that is the body of believers here at Harmony Bible Church. You see, Paul is telling the believers in Corinth that they should all agree and that there should be no divisions among them as a group together, as a body. So whether you see this as pie in the sky or not, it is the goal that he sets before them. We can say this is pie in the sky, but Paul says this is the goal. Right? That there be no divisions among you and you should all agree. And it's the same goal he sets before the believers in Philippi. If you look at Philippians 2, verses 1-2, through 2, Paul says something pretty bold there too. Philippians 2, verses 1-2, and 2, he says this, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete. So he's, all these things are true, by the way. There, there are these things. Therefore, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. You see, Paul wanted the church in Philippi and the church in Corinth and every local assembly, including us, to be unified, to be striving together for the same goal. Or as he says, intent on one purpose. You see, we often think of the term equally yoked with regard to marriage. And certainly it applies there. However, the concept of being equally yoked should be applied here. We talk about being equally yoked when you put two animals, two oxen, say, together. You yoke them together. That if they pull, they need to pull at the same speed and in the same direction. And so it is also true in the church. That in the local church, we need to all be pulling in the same direction. And far too often, if you've been in the church for too awfully long, not this church, but the church, any church, you see that oftentimes people begin to pull in different directions. And it's not good, it's not healthy. Paul says to the Philippians, I want to see you maintaining the same love, united in spirit, of the same mind, intent on one purpose, heading in one direction. You know, when you see a married couple, it's, it's hard to see. I think sometimes people talk about being equally yoked, and they, they see this idea that Scripture merely says you must be married to another believer, and that it's uh, just, just another law or just another rule by which we must live. But instead, it's a blessing. 
it's a blessing. For those of you who are equally yoked, you know that it's a blessing that when you're pulling in the same direction, at the same speed, it is a huge blessing, and it is the same way in the church. And Paul says, this is what I desire for you. The parallels between marriage and the church relationship are so profound. We see it again and again and again. That oftentimes, the things that we experience in marriage are the very things we should be experiencing in our relationship with others in the church. This unity, this striving together. So, looking back at our text, the word exhort, I want to bring your attention to that word. He says, now I exhort you, brethren. The word carries the idea of coming alongside someone to help them. And that's Paul's goal here. I want you to understand, Paul is not just rebuking them. He's not standing over them and saying, this needs to stop. And there is a time to do that. And there are places where Paul does that. But here, he's coming alongside them to help. He says, brethren, I'm coming to you as a brother, as someone who loves you and is concerned for you. His command is serious, but it's born out of love. You see, he knows that fighting against division is something they must do. And he comes to them and says, I exhort you to do this. Notice also that the phrase, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it refers to being in the Lord's will. Uh, Just as praying in His name refers to being in accordance with His will, so also it carries the same idea here. So we don't say, we don't pray and then say, in Jesus' name I pray, as though that's some magic formula by which God's going to grant our prayer requests. We pray saying, I'm praying in accordance with the will of God. Right? That's the point, that we pray in His name in accordance with His will. And in the same way He says, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm asking you to do this in accordance with His will. So in other words, by saying, I exhort you brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, He's saying, I'm encouraging you. I'm coming alongside you as a brother to do these things in accordance with His desire, in accordance with His will. I want to see you all agree, and I want there to be no divisions among you. And then if that's not enough, right? He goes on to say that they should be made complete in the same mind, the same thinking, and in the same judgment, the same action. So he says, I want to see you be made complete. I want to see you grow in maturity and be knitted together in such a way that you are thinking and acting alike. Once again, we have an instance where Scripture uh, teaches that action follows thinking. I just want you to get this, and I know it's been a while since I've said this, so I'm going to say it again, right? That we have this idea that uh, sometimes within secular theology has this idea that, or secular theology, secular um, psychology has this idea that what we need to do is we need to reflect on our past and we need to um, change our feelings about certain things. That we have certain feelings that, that come up from our past, we need to change our feelings. And Scripture again and again and again says you need to change your thinking. That you need to think biblically. And, and basically, here's the thing. We, stimuli comes into our lives, and stimuli comes into our lives, and when it does, we think about it. And as we think about it, it produces an emotion. Right? And then those emotions produce actions. And those actions produce more thinking, more emotions, and more actions. And that ultimately develops character. Right? So, we're watching TV, and a commercial comes on that's inappropriate. Right? It produces thinking. And that thinking produces an emotion. And that emotion can produce an action. 
which produces more thinking, more emotions, more actions, right? What needs to change is not just the stimuli. We can turn the TV off. But what needs to change, in addition to limiting the stimuli, is realizing the stimuli always comes at us. That there's always going to be something to provoke us. There's always going to be something to stimulate us. That what needs to change is our thinking. And our thinking needs to be, I, there is no place for me in that because I am a follower of Jesus Christ and I desire to glorify God. And that changes our emotion as we relate to that stimuli. You see, Paul is saying, I want you to be of the same mind. I want you to think the same way and then act the same way. I want you to be united in these things. In Acts chapter 2, we see the early church being of one mind together. And it profoundly impacted the way they lived. The, the, the church in Acts 2, they are of one mind. They're thinking alike. And it changes not just the way they think, but the way they live. Acts 2, verses 41-47. through 47. Peter, he's just uh, finished preaching uh, to the crowd at Pentecost. And it says this, So then, those who had received His Word were baptized. And that, that day, there were added about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and they had all things in common. So we see they believe and it changes their behavior immediately. But we also see that they continued to change their thinking. That they were continued to meet together. And they began selling their property and their possessions and were sharing the sharing them with all as anyone might have need, and day by day continuing with one mind in the temple. And breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So pie in the sky or not, we may see it that way, but certainly it was the case in the early church. Scripture says day by day they were meeting together in one mind. That they had one mind. They were thinking alike. And they were acting alike. They were selling their goods, their possessions. They were meeting each other's needs. You see, the Gospel message resulted in more than just some agreement over some facts. Their beliefs affected their behavior. They didn't say, okay, uh, I like what this Paul has to say. I'll be a Christian now. I'll change my... uh, voter registration card from one party to another party. I'm no longer a D, I'm now an R. Right? It wasn't that they said, well, I'm going to change my religious affiliation, so when I go to the hospital and they ask me, uh, what, what religion are you? I'm going to say, well, now I'm a Protestant. Right? Not that there was Protestants. Right? It wasn't that they didn't just change what they thought about some things. It changed everything. Their beliefs affected their behavior. They didn't say, I'm a Christian now, and then return to their life as usual. They were, as Paul tells the church in Philippi, they were intent on one purpose. And they were striving together in one direction, and that is to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul, by the way, he's not saying that the church in Corinth should think exactly alike on every issue. He's not saying that you in Corinth or you in Philippi, you need to think alike on every single issue. If you know Bill and I, you'll know that we don't think alike on every single issue, right? 
His point is simply that they should be like-minded. And I know that sounds, you're saying, well, what's the difference? What are you talking about? The point is, there should be overall doctrinal agreement within the group. It's his point. There should be overall doctrinal agreement within your group. So there's no room for disagreement on that which the Bible does teach, right? But there's room for disagreement on which the Bible doesn't teach. So for example, we can disagree on that which the Bible doesn't teach. How many hours per week a father or a husband should work? How many hours should I work as a father and a husband? We'll we'll disagree on that. Some may say 40, some may say 60, some may say 20, right? We will disagree on that. But there must be agreement on that which the Bible clearly does teach. That a father is called to provide for not just the physical needs of his family, but also care for them both emotionally and spiritually. So how do you do that? How do you live that out? And we may disagree on exactly how that gets lived out. And hopefully we're growing in how that gets lived out. Where we say, you know, I used to work 80 hours a week, but I haven't seen my family in three weeks. And now I need to, I need to adjust and I need to change that. But there's also a place where we say, I recognize the need to care for them and to provide for them. See, we need to be careful that the things that the Scripture does teach, we're holding fast to. See, by saying, Paul, by saying that they needed to be of the same mind and the same judgment, he's saying that they should be like-minded about things that affect the way they live out their faith. So he's saying, you you don't necessarily have to have agreement on every single issue, but you do need to hold fast to what the Scripture clearly teaches. And then he goes a step further and says, you need to be of the same mind and the same judgment so that... The things that you think about, the things that affect the way you live out your faith, your judgment, those things you should be alike in. So for example, let me give you an example here at the local church. At Harmony, we believe that the Sunday morning worship service um, is primarily for the believer. Primarily. So I'm not saying that it's not for the unbeliever, that the unbeliever can't come and hear God's Word, but the The service here is primarily that of worship. We focus on singing songs where we can lift our voices and our hearts to God. We focus on learning God's Word, worshiping Him. It's not just an outreach event, right? So we agree with that. However, there are some churches who believe that Sunday morning, not the worship service, they may not even call it a worship service, Sunday morning is primarily an outreach event. And that there are other times in the week whereby they may grow and worship and connect together in what we are doing here now. Now, I'm not going to argue that that's best. In fact, I think the churches that have adopted that model, many of them have said, well, we tried that and it didn't really work because the believers didn't really get together those other times during the week and really connect in the way we hoped they would and strengthen each other and lift up the gospel and worship in the way we hoped they would. However, I want you to understand that nowhere in Scripture does it say, on Sunday morning, at 11 o'clock, you must meet, and here's what you must do. Right? Instead, that there are principles that we must do in a worship service as we gather to worship, but it doesn't necessarily have to be on Sunday morning. Right? That there are other times, or especially at 11 o'clock, there are other times by which that must be done. However, in a local body, there should be agreement about such things. 
You see, the, the ch- local church should be like-minded in things like that. That if we're gathering together and Bill says, well, no, 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 I completely disagree. Sunday morning is all about the unbeliever, right? And Tuesday night is our time of worship whereby which we gather and we do the things you're talking about. And we continue to disagree. That's not healthy. Paul says you need to be like-minded and you need to have the same judgment. You need to live out those principles of faith in the same way. You see, so a local church should be like-minded not only on things like the deity of Christ, which, by the way, should be a given for any local church, the deity of Christ. There are certain essential doctrines. But also things like church membership and baptism. I love my brothers and sisters down the street who, who uh, at the Presbyterian church who have a different view of baptism than I do, right? But within the local body, we should have the same view because there are certain things that we should say, yeah, we need to unite on this because it's important to the way we live out our ministry. So we should have the same view on those things, but also the philosophy of ministry, just the general way in which we do church. Otherwise, we're going to continually bump into each other. Now, having said all that, I want to be careful here, right? Please understand that Paul's admonition is not find people like yourself and join them. Paul is not saying what you got to do is all you people in Corinth, you got to find people who are just like you. So find somebody who agrees with you on what Sunday morning is going to look like. You know, you like hymns, you like contemporary Christian music, and Jason likes rap. So you need to have three different churches, and you need to, you need to, but then the problem is somebody's going to say, yeah, but Jason believes in believer's baptism, and this person who believes in hymns has a different view on baptism. And eventually, every believer has their own church, Right? His point is not, you need to find people exactly like you and unite with them. Join them. His admonition is, be like-minded. To grow in like-mindedness. You should be growing so that you're more and more like-minded. You know, ironically, I believe this sometimes seems to be easier for new believers. They're often like sponges, right? Who aren't under the misconception that they know everything. I know new believers are just like, teach me, show me, I want to learn, I want to change, I want to grow. But for those of us who have been in the faith for a long time, this is not always the case, but oftentimes those of us who have been in the faith become set in our ways and our thinking. And sometimes, even when our thinking and our ways are unbiblical, and we say, I have nothing to learn, I have nowhere to grow, and therefore... I'm going to take this hard and fast position on this issue when we could be wrong. You see, the result can be that we become less and less like-minded with other believers. Because in pride, we think we must be the one who is right. And that's sad. It shouldn't be the case. So there are times when we say, yeah, you know what, as a local body, we need to agree on the essentials. The essentials are just that. Essentials. And then there are things that they are secondary, but they're important. They are important. Because when we gather together, this is, this is the way we worship and this is the way we do it. And then we're seeking to glorify God. We have, we're intent on one purpose. And here's how we're fulfilling that purpose. And then there's these other things. You know what? We're going to debate them. And we're going we're gonna to try to figure it out. And we're going to come to Scripture. But we're not going to fight. And we're not going to quarrel over them. 
And as we naturally grow in our Christ-likeness, we come back to the Scripture and examine what the Scripture says again and again and again, like we did in Sunday school this morning, by the way. Right? Where there's some issues that clearly the, the group doesn't necessarily see from the exact same perspective. But as we go back to the Scripture again and again and again, that we will grow to be more like Christ. And you know what happens when we grow to be more like Christ? We grow to be more like each other. We grow in one another likeness. I made that up, isn't that great? One another likeness. Right? That's the point. Grow in Christ-likeness. And as you do, you're going to be more like each other. So, 30 minutes later, the first point in your sermon outline is the goal, right? The goal. That they be unified in their thoughts and in their actions. So now let's move on to the second point in our sermon outline. I, I promise you this next two are quick. The second point in, the, in our sermon outline is the reality. Paul continues on in verses 11 and 12, and he speaks to the reality of the situation here in Corinth. And he says this, For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people. We have no idea, by the way, who Chloe's people are. Don't really know anything about them, except for the, in faith they came to Paul and said, we're concerned. Um, praise God for Chloe's people, right? Um, Verse 11, For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. So the reality was that there were quarrels among them. Commentators and scholars disagree as to the exact nature of the quarrels. See, some say that there were actual groups in the church, each claiming allegiance to these spiritual leaders. That the people who were, who were allied with Paul, who said, I'm of Paul, they sat over here. And the people of Apollos, they sat over here and they said, we're of Apollos. Maybe they had little shirts with the picture of Apollos on them. <clears throat> right? So in other words, there are these four distinct groups in the church. Some saying, I'm of Paul. Some saying, I'm of Apollos. And some saying, I'm of Cephas, or Peter, as was his other name. While the remaining people pridefully proclaimed, well, we're above the fray. We're of Christ, right? And Christ alone. And in some sense, still, not really being of Christ, but setting up their own camp around being of Christ. While it's certainly possible for these groups to have existed, it should be noted that it would not have been because these men held different theological views. These men, it wasn't that these men were differing theologically. There's no indication from Scripture or otherwise that these men were not like-minded. I'm sure they didn't agree on everything. In fact, you can read Scripture and find that Paul and Peter didn't agree on everything. But nonetheless, they were like-minded. They were intent on one purpose. And they grew in Christ-likeness. And as they grew in Christ-likeness, they grew to be more like each other. There was no major theological difference between these men. Instead, it seems that, these, that if these groups existed, they were claiming allegiances to these men because of differences in personality. See, Paul comes, he plants the church in Corinth, he's there a year and a half. It's easy to become fond of Paul. We read from Acts 18, and also from Paul saying, I planted and Apollos watered. We, we piece those together and believe that Apollos was probably the first pastor in Corinth. The very first pastor after Paul. Right? 
and Peter. We don't even know whether he went to Corinth. There's no record of it. But if the Apostle Peter comes to Corinth and disciples you, of course you're going to love Peter, right? So some in the church would have been led to the Lord by Paul and others by Apollos and maybe even some by Peter. And there's a natural love and respect for someone who disciples you. I remember the, there was a pastor when I first became a Christian. He just picked me up and he carried me and he loved me. You know, and I, I would disagree with him today. He's gone home to be with the Lord on many things, but he loved me. And you know what? I had a love for him because he cared for my soul and he shepherded me. I remember my parents when they got saved under the same pastor years later. When he went to pastor another church, they actually talked about leaving and driving the distance to go see him and stay with him because they loved him. And that's natural. There's some natural love and respect for someone who leads you. But an unhealthy allegiance can be developed. And an unhealthy allegiance to these men was developed even without them doing anything wrong. Now, however, I'm not going to say that I'm not really inclined to say that there were four distinct groups or four distinct camps um, as clearly defined as some commentators argue. Others and myself would be more inclined to say that there are those in the church who are quarreling with each other and they aren't necessarily aligned with four distinct groups. Instead, what Paul is saying is that he's saying there's an overall spirit of pride uh, within the church causing individuals to argue. So these statements, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, and oh yeah, well I'm of Jesus. That they're merely examples. That it wasn't that everyone in the church fit neatly into one of these camps. That instead, they were just fighting and quarreling with each other about nonsense. That it was kind of childish dissensions that were happening among them. And if you've ever been part of a church that's caught up in quarreling, then you know that the camps are not always easily identifiable. It's not that everybody fits into some neat little category. Oh, well, this person clearly believes that when, when quarreling begins to happen, that lots of, lots of issues get, thrown up, get run up the flagpole, that lots of issues come up, and that more and more issues can come up. So I think Paul's point is, enough, this is childish. You're of Paul, you're of Apollos, Some of you are arguing you're of Christ. That you're better because you're of Christ. You see, we don't know the exact nature of these divisions. And I don't want to spend too much time there, but what we do know is that the divisions were rooted in pride. Listen to the statements. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas or Peter. I am of Christ. I, 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 I. So what's at the heart of this issue? Pride. The problem was pride. You know, I remember, I'll often do this, and you'll know it's coming if you ever come to me and say, you know, Pastor, we'd love some, mar- uh, some marital counseling. I'm going to ask what the issue is, and you're probably going to tell me you fight. You're probably going to tell me you fight about um, sex and money and um, uh, communication. You know, it's, it's often the same things, right? So, so you're going to tell me you, you fight, and I'm going to say, well, why do you fight? And you're going to say, oh, we fight because of this, and this, and this, and we don't agree on this, and we don't agree on that. And I'm going to say, well, what, what does Scripture say as to why you fight? 
And, and I want you to remember this. It's just going to make the counseling go that much quicker, right? So when this happens, just James 4, verses 1 through 2 is what I'm going to have you read. It says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? What is it? What is the source? What's the problem? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust, and you don't have. So you commit murder. You're envious, and you cannot obtain. So you fight, and you quarrel. You see, it goes back to the saying that I say all the time. I want what I want, and I'm willing to sin in order to get it. And I'm willing to sin if I don't get it. That's what happens in my house. That's what happens in my life. I want what I want, and I'm willing to sin in order to get it. You see, pride causes these kinds of issues. And in this case, they wanted to be right so badly that they fought and quarreled with one another. That's not like-mindedness. Paul's not saying you need to agree on everything. He's saying, but you do need to be like-minded. There are times when you say, you know, there are some issues that we will not agree on everything in the way, thing play, the way this is applied and played out, but we need to have a general agreement about the, the doctrines, the essential doctrines, and the secondary doctrines, and the way we live out our faith. There needs to be a general agreement about that. So, this is a bad example, but it popped into my head. So I wear jeans every Sunday. Every Sunday I wear jeans, right? I hope that doesn't provoke you, right, to wrath, right? But if it does, and if that's really important to you, and you really believe that the best way to live out the commands of Scripture are not to wear jeans on Sunday, and I'm causing you to stumble or make you angry, then I'm going to say there are some... I think you're wrong, right? And I'm going to tell you I think you're wrong. But I'm also going to say, you know, you need to be in a place where you can serve, where you can grow, where you can commit to the ministry and get behind the ministry of the church. It's a horrible example, I know. But there are bigger examples. And if all you do at Harmony Bible Church or wherever you attend church normally, if all you do is think about how the things that need to change and you can't get behind the general ministry of the church, then you need to find a church that you can get behind. So we have both of these issues. Paul says, be like-minded, right? And he says, you need to make sure that you're not just surrounding yourself with people exactly like you. But he also says, you need to be like-minded and surrounding yourself with people whom you can agree with. So both are true in the church today. You need to grow in Christ-likeness so that you're not fighting over these issues. So having seen... um, Where am I? I have no idea where I am. So having seen the goal, right? That they're unified in their thoughts and their actions and the reality that they were quarreling and divided. Now let's look at the solution. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's look at the solution, verses 13 through 17. It says this. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Now I did also, I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Paul asks three shocking questions 
Each of which, the obvious answer is an emphatic no. Right? Has Christ been divided? Literally, the text speaks of, has Christ been torn to pieces and distributed among you? Like, do you each have a piece of Christ? No. Christ has not been divided. Were you, was Paul crucified for you? He says, Paul was not, I, Paul was not crucified for you, was I? I'm not the one who died for your sins. And he says, or were you baptized in my name? You see, Paul's point is that their allegiance must be to Christ, the one who died for them. And the one to whom they committed their lives to. That when they went down into those waters of baptism, it wasn't about following Paul. It was about following Jesus. That they committed their lives to Christ when they were baptized. And if their allegiance is to Christ, then it will naturally bring them together. See, the strongest relationships, I see this again and again between countries, are formed when they're fighting a common enemy. When they have a common goal. Um, it's been said, uh, give a German a gun, he heads for France, right? Whereas if, if those two countries, they need, to, they need to unite, or give a Russian a gun and he heads for Poland. You, if, those, if these countries unite against a common enemy, the strongest of alliances are formed, right? When they're fighting for a common goal. And church growth experts will even tell you that if you want to grow a church, you need to unite people around a cause. By the way, church growth experts, I have that in... Um, quotation marks up here, right? You need to unite people around a cause is what they'll tell you. Ironically, that's why so many cults are so appealing. They unite people around a cause. So in the church, for instance, they might say, start a building campaign. Let's start talking about how the church, by the way, folks, that people stop coming to church when the church reaches 80% capacity. That at 80% capacity, people start feeling uncomfortable and they're not going to come in and fight for a seat and they're going to go somewhere else. By the way, I buy none of that because that's human wisdom, right? However, that's what experts will tell you. So what you need to do is you need to unite people around a common cause. Start giving them a vision for this beautiful building that can be used to reach the community. And that's not a bad thing to, to reach the community. However, the problem is that that kind of cause doesn't lead to lasting unity. Eventually, the building gets done. Right? Or eventually, there's disagreement about what color the carpet should be. Should it be blue? Should it be green? Maybe it should be blue, and we should put green down the middle. Right? The cause needs to be greater than the building. It needs to be greater than some human thing. The church needs to be united in the gospel. And that's why I come back to it again and again and again. And why I continue to point us back to the Gospel. What Christ did for us on the cross. Because we need to be united in that. And then we need to be unified in that. So continuing in our text, we're almost done. Paul says, this is long. Paul says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except, that I baptized none of you except these people. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the Gospel. And not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. His point is not that baptism is unimportant. His point is that it's merely a picture of the gospel. See, baptism doesn't save anyone, and that should be evident from this text. Paul the Apostle actually says, I'm glad I didn't baptize you. 
See, Paul preached the Gospel because he knew it was the power of God for salvation. That's why in Romans 1 he says, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God to those who believe. And Paul says when he preached the Gospel, that he's thankful that it wasn't in cleverness of speech or eloquent words, as some translations say. For if it had been, the cross would have been made void. It wasn't about Paul being some excellent speaker. It wasn't about Paul being dynamic. It was about the message that he spoke. And he says, I'm glad that I didn't come to you and baptize you and speak with these great words because I'm afraid you'd be following me. I'm glad that I can say I didn't baptize many of you. And I'm glad I'm not eloquent because you've got this worship of man thing going on. You've lost sight of the message and you have your eyes on the messengers. So the solution is to look back to the Gospel in humility and live in such a way that Jesus, and Jesus alone, is their Lord, their Master, their Ruler. In the first ten verses, Christ, the name of Christ, is evoked ten times. If there's anything in Corinthians that we want, that we want to pull out of 1 Corinthians, it's that Jesus is Christ and Lord. That He is Savior and Lord. So the solution is, look back to the Gospel. In other words, the common cause for which they must fight is the Gospel of Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ. And if their thoughts are those of Christ and their actions are those of Christ, they will be unified in those thoughts and actions. So, how do we apply all of this individually and corporately, specifically, here at Harmony Bible Church? Well, number one, we need to be united in love. We need to be united in love for Christ. You see, we need to be united. And Paul starts this passage with being united in Christ. That if you are a believer, you are united with Him. And that's a reality. That's not something that we work towards. That when you become a believer, you are united with Him. So if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, that's where you need to start. Be united to Christ, and the natural result will be united with the church. You need to trust in Jesus Christ. You need to, instead of going this way, following your own self, your own sin, you need to turn around, you need to repent and follow Jesus. Right? Receive Him as your Savior, the one who can save you from your sins, and your Lord, the one who will lead you and carry you through to completion. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I ask that you just come talk to me after the service. I'd love to talk to you more about what that means. That being the case, I think most of us are here because we are followers of Jesus Christ. And if we're united in Christ, we need to also be, number two, unified in Christ. We need to agree on the essentials. As a local church body, we should agree on important areas of doctrine, right? We hang a shingle out there that says Harmony Bible Church, but we all know we're a Baptist church, that certain doctrines are important to us, like uh, believer's baptism. We need to agree on a philosophy of ministry, right? a philosophy that says, well, we know that prayer is important. We know that, that we're going to encourage people to be part of prayer. We're going to encourage Sunday morning is going to be part of building up the saints and, and getting together to worship. We know that we're going to want another, each other, that we're going to live lives where we care for one another, we love one another, we uh, help each other, we, we spur one another on to love and good deeds. And the, one of the ways we're going to do that is through small groups. One of the ways we're going to do that is just through being the church. Right? It's great to have a sunshine committee. It's awesome to have a sunshine committee. 
But the philosophy of ministry at Harmony Bible Church should be, it's not up to the Sunshine Committee to bring sunshine into your life. Right? Be a little sunshine on Sunday morning. Right? Love each other. So our philosophy of ministry must be the same. So how do we do that? How do we agree on all those things? Well, we need to study Scripture together. We need to. We need to be serious about studying Scripture together. We need to be serious about praying together. We need to be serious about helping each other grow and apply God's Word. We need to encourage, help, and admonish. Right? Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, admonish the unruly, Scripture tells us. We need to do those things. And then ultimately, we need to point each other to Christ. We need to be united in one direction, one purpose, and that's following Jesus Christ. So we must always point back to Christ, point to the Gospel, and be united in serving Him and Him alone. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for your grace. Thank you that we are united in your Son, Jesus. Now help us also to live lives that are unified in our calling to love and to serve you. Help us to live lives worthy of the calling we have received, the high and upward calling of our Lord and Savior. Help us to care for one another, to be the church that you have called us to be, to be like-minded. God, I pray and ask that You just work mightily and miraculously in us for these things are not in ourselves, that they are not in our ability to do in and through ourselves, but it will take a work from You in us. God, I pray as I began this service that You would knit our hearts together in love, love that is rooted in love for You. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Jason Polly, pastor of Harmony Bible Church in South Thomaston, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and we invite you to connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. God bless you, and to God be the glory.